And so how is God inviting me to fill the earth with his kingdom, with his goodness? What has God put on the inside of me that I am to share with the rest of the world? Father, thank you so much for your kindness to us, for your goodness. Father, thank you for sending Jesus. While we were your enemies, you sent Jesus to die for us so that we could be reconciled to you and become heirs in your kingdom. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would make your word come alive in our hearts today, that you would speak through me and give us ears to hear what you have to say. Lord, I pray that I would speak things from your heart, God, but the things that I speak that aren't from your heart, I pray that people would forget them quickly. Lord, I pray that the things I speak that are from your heart would resonate inside of us and bear good fruit. Oh, Lord, just bless us. Help us to hear what you have to say. Help me to speak it out for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, let's talk about hope. So the title of my talk this morning is Connecting Our Eternal Hope with Our Daily Grind. And I know not everyone is a native English speaker. So when we talk about our daily grind, it's just the things that we kind of have to do every day. If you're a mother of young children, it could be uh, changing diapers or a father of young children. Maybe, hopefully, it could be changing diapers, it could be making sales calls, it could be taking care of customer problems if you are in a, a place of business. It could be doing schoolwork or teaching if, if you're a student or a teacher. The daily grind is just the stuff that has to get done every day. And how does our eternal hope have anything to do with our daily grind? And I think... Um, it depends on what your eternal hope is as to whether or not you can connect your eternal hope with your daily grind. Because I think if your eternal hope is to get away from this planet, to escape, and one day go sit on a cloud in heaven somewhere and strum a harp all day long, then it may be really hard to connect that kind of hope to your daily grind. But if your hope is that Jesus Christ is making all things new and his desire is for his kingdom to reign over this earth and his desire is for his glory to be over the earth like the waters are over the sea, I think that hope is actually easy to connect to our daily grind. And so we're going to talk about what is hope and what is a biblical eternal hope and what does it have to do with things like making sales calls and changing diapers and doing homework and all those kinds of things. So first of all, let me go ahead and define hope for you. Uh, according to Merriam-Webster, there's so hope can be a noun or a verb, right? So Merriam-Webster defines uh, the noun hope as a desire accompanied by expectation of or belief in fulfillment. A desire accompanied by expectation of or belief in fulfillment. So that's the noun hope. You have a hope, you have this desire with this expectation that it's going to come to pass. Now, there's also, hope can also be a verb. So the verb hope, according to Merriam-Webster, is to cherish a desire with anticipation, to want something to happen or be true. So the verb is to cherish a desire with anticipation, to want something to happen or to be true. So hope is really necessary for life. The moment that people become hopeless, um, 
generally they despair and they get depressed and they don't want to live anymore. So I think we're really, as human beings, we're hardwired to have hope. Everyone has hope. Right now, the whole world is hoping that we get over this coronavirus. And maybe all of the hopes we had before coronavirus are kind of on hold. And we're just hoping that things get back to normal. We're just hoping for a return to what we had before. But before COVID-19 started happening, we had a different set of hopes. And we had maybe a hope that uh, I'm going to get through this school and then I'm going to go to this job or uh, I'm going to you know, make this much money next year. And so some people's hopes have been radically altered. You know, maybe some people who are hoping to, to make a lot of money this year, now they're just hoping that they're able to put food on the table. Maybe some people who are hoping to get through school and graduate this year, uh, they're just hoping that, you know, that they can, they can finish or, or that they, they can even get back to their school as different people have been scattered all over the world um, because of the, the current uh, crisis. But what's interesting about hope is that no one hopes for something worse than they have now. So regardless of your standard of living, regardless of how rich you are or how poor you are or how healthy you are or how anything, everyone always hopes for something better than they already have. So no one says, man, I really hope next year I make less money than I made this year. Or, you know what? I've really been too healthy. I hope next year I'm not this healthy. No one hopes for those things. No one says, I've been too happy this year. I hope next year I'm not so happy. No, everyone hopes to have something better than what they've, they've already got. And, and that is pretty much the definition of hope. It's this expectation of something good happening, something better happening. And in fact, the Bible says that we, we have to have hope to have faith. So in Hebrews, it says, faith is the assurance of things hoped for. So you can't even exercise your faith unless you have a hope that it's Faith is the assurance of things. Hope for it's the conviction of things not seen. So hope is necessary to life. And if our hopes fail us, we begin to despair. And so the degree to which we had hoped for something is the degree that we'll despair. Now, maybe if you were just like hoping to have a grilled cheese sandwich for dinner tonight and it turns out there's no cheese, maybe that's just a kind of a small disappointment. But if you had your heart set on getting a certain job and you were going to graduate and you had your plans all made and something happens and your hopes are shattered, it can bring you to a very difficult place of despair. But what I want to talk about today is our eternal hope. And that if we can begin to understand that any hope we have that's not based on God's promises will ultimately fail us, we can begin to shift our hope from those things that that will fail us, whether it be hoping for that new house or that new job or that new car or uh, that new boyfriend, girlfriend, whatever, the, the myriad of things that we're tempted to put our hope in, all of those things will sooner or later fail us. Any hope that we have outside of God's promises will fail us eventually. Even if we achieve what we had uh, hoped and longed for so much, eventually we know that everything in this world is going to pass away. We're going to, we're going to die. We're going to leave this world. Uh, the, the things that we have are going to be left to somebody else. And so hope that's not built on God's promises will ultimately fail. So it's really important as we begin to try to connect our eternal hope to our daily grind. First, we have to have a, a proper understanding of what is our eternal hope. And so for that, I would like to turn to the Bible, to the scriptures. 
And so I'm hoping that some, I'm hoping that some of you will jump in and read for us. So you'll have to unmute your microphone and we're going to read through some scriptures that talk about what is the hope that the scripture puts forth for us as believers in Jesus. So the first scripture we're going to look at is Acts 24, 15. Could I get a volunteer to read that for us? Acts 24, 15. Having a hope in God, which these men cherish themselves, that there shall certainly be a resurrection of both the righteous and the wicked. Amen. Thank you, Joel. Okay. And the next one is Romans chapter 23, verses 24 to 20. Oh, I'm sorry. Romans chapter 8, verses 23 to 24. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, grow inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons and the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Great. Thanks, Hudson. Yes, we are waiting for the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope, we were saved. So the Bible talks about that our hope as believers is a resurrection of the dead unto life. That this eternal life that God has given us is not only a spiritual uh, off floating on a cloud somewhere, but it's a, a manifestation of a new body that's like the body that Jesus has when he was raised from the dead. And Paul explains this transformation in 1 Corinthians 15. Let me go ahead and read this one. I think that'll be easier because in the interest of time, I'm going to kind of skip over some verses. So we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 35 to 49. It says, But someone will ask, How are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? You foolish person. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel perhaps of wheat or some other grain, but God gives it a body as he has chosen and to each kind of seed, its own body. So is it with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. The first man was from the earth. That's talking about Adam, right? The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man, that's Jesus, is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. That's talking about all of humankind, all of Adam's descendants. Just like Adam was of the dust, we are also all of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, Jesus, so also are those who are of heaven. That's talking about us. When we get born again, the Bible says that we're born from above. We're born of an incorruptible seed. The Holy Spirit gives us a new spirit, a new heart. We're born again. We have a new identity. And so it says, so are those who are of heaven. That's us. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. So this is the eternal, the, the biblical eternal hope is that we are going to get a new body that is like the resurrected body of Jesus and that we're going to reign with Christ on the earth. So look with me at Revelation chapter 22, verses four and five, if I could get a volunteer to read that. Um, I can get it, Daryl. Thank you. Okay. They shall see his face, 
and his name shall be on their foreheads. There shall be no night there. They need no lamp nor light of the sun. For the Lord God gives them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. Awesome. Thanks, Alicia. Great. So it says that we are going to reign forever and ever. Can someone read 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 11 to 13? 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 11 to 13. 13. And I read, It is a faithful saying, For if we be dead with him, we shall also live with him. If we suffer, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we believe not, yet he abideth faithful. He cannot deny himself. Thank you, Perry. He cannot deny himself. It says, if we endure, we will also reign with him. And so, the you know, sometimes we take things from, from our culture and we kind of superimpose them over our Christianity. And so this is, this can happen with our hope in that. So for, for example, I'm an American and, uh, generally speaking, some of the highest values, cultural values that Americans hold are safety and comfort. We want to be safe and we want to be comfortable. And so we can take those values and we can superimpose them over our idea of what heaven must be like. And so we begin to make heaven uh, according to our own image. And we start to imagine that, well, heaven must be like a, a great day of fishing or heaven must be like a vacation by the beach. And so we begin to make um, God's eternity for us according to what we want it to be instead of necessarily according to the biblical revelation. In the Bible, heaven, the, the, the purpose of God taking people to heaven is not to get them out of the earth. In the Bible, the Bible says to be away from the body is to be with Christ. So when we die, we go to be with Christ, but it's only until Jesus establishes his kingdom on the earth. So Jesus is going to come back to the earth. He's going to establish his kingdom physically, and he's going to reign forever on the earth with his people. And so God's intention for mankind is not to get mankind off of planet earth, but it's to have his kingdom come to the earth through his people. And God's eternal purpose is to unite all of heaven with all of earth through his son, Jesus. So look with me at Ephesians chapter 1, verse 10. In Ephesians, Paul lays out what he calls the eternal purpose of God. And that's a phrase he uses in chapter 3. But he says what the eternal purpose of God is in chapter 1. And in verse 10, he says, It's a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in Him. Talking about Jesus. Things in heaven and things on the earth. So, if we understand that our biblical eternal hope is to get a new body that is not affected by sin, a new body that has no desire for sin, the bodies that we inherit from Adam are corrupt with a sin nature, with the desire to go and do things that are opposed to righteousness. So we, we inherited these bodies from Adam. We get saved. Our spirit gets born again, but we still have to live in these bodies that are dead because of sin. But our hope is that when uh, Christ returns, we get a brand new body that's like his, and our new body is completely free from the corruption of sin. We don't want to sin. There's no desire in us to sin. We're not selfish. We're not greedy. We're not lustful. We don't have the corruption that Adam brought into humanity. We get this new body, and we reign on the earth, bringing Jesus' righteousness and manifesting the goodness of God on the earth for all of eternity. And that's what Ephesians talked about, that through us, God might lavish on us the riches of his kindness for all the ages to come. And so, what God wants to do 
through his church, through his people, is demonstrate in the visible creation how good and how glorious and how magnificent he is. That was his purpose from the beginning. That's why God even made a visible universe, was to show how splendid and how wonderful he is. And it was corrupted by the sin of man. And so Jesus has overcome sin and his kingdom is coming and it's, and it's growing, but it's not here yet in its fullness. But one day Christ will return and his kingdom will be established. Sin will be forever eradicated from the earth and we will live on the earth reigning with Christ as his, as his royal family, administrating his royal kingdom as his children. So that is the biblical eternal hope. The biblical eternal hope is not to get away from this planet and to escape away into heaven and I'm just going to sit around and fish all day long. The truth is you wouldn't be happy fishing all day long, right? Like I know that we think that really what we'd like to do is just have a permanent vacation. But but honestly, I think if we look deep inside of ourselves, we know that that's not true, right? Like I was having this discussion with uh, Guy Thomas just last night that really what people want to do is to be useful. Really what people want to do is to help others. Really what, what people want to do is to realize some kind of purpose. And that's what God made us for. That's what God made Adam and Eve for. Adam and Eve weren't just sitting in the garden eating grapes all day. They were given charge over the garden to care for it and to extend Eden all over the earth. God gave them a blueprint and said, I want you to make the rest of the earth look like this. And they, they, you know, they blew it. They, they blew it. They were deceived by the devil. They, they rebelled against God. But Jesus came to restore mankind to God's original purpose for us, which was to be his image bearers on the earth and to be the visible expression, the visible manifestation of how good and wonderful he is. Okay, so that's a biblical eternal hope. And so your hope manifests right now. So if your, your goals for eternity and your goals for the present are, are connected by whatever your hope is. And so if your eternal hope is to escape from this world, your daily life will also reflect that. And you'll look forward to the times in your daily life where you get to escape from this world. But if your eternal hope is to see everything in creation made new, to see everything in creation reflect God's glory, then your goals in daily life, what you will look forward to, the high points of your day, will be to manifest that rule of God, to manifest that glory of God. So our hope has to be aligned with God's promises. Otherwise, it'll fail us and we will end up disappointed. And so learning how to take this hope. So if we have a if we have a biblical understanding that the purpose of God is to unite heaven and earth through his son, Jesus, to bring his glory into the earth, not to help get us off of the earth, but to bring his kingdom onto the earth, then we can begin asking questions like this. How is God inviting me to fill this earth with his goodness? What's my role in bringing the kingdom of God. The, the, and remember, the kingdom of God is not heaven, right? We've talked about this quite a bit, but heaven is where God has his throne. The earth is his footstool, but the kingdom of God is wherever Jesus is reigning as king. And so Jesus said, if I drive out uh, demons by the finger of God, the kingdom of God has come among you. And so the kingdom of God is wherever things are done God's way under his rulership. And so how is God inviting me to fill the earth with his kingdom, with his goodness? What has God put on the inside of me that I am to share with the rest of the world? And here's, here's one of my, my favorite questions that our brother Bill Job would, would ask us and would encourage us to think about. He would say, what skill set can I develop now that will be useful 5,000 years from now? What can I learn right now as a follower of Jesus that I will still be able to use for all of eternity? And so I would say this, that one skill set that you, we could learn right now is to understand what the Father wants us to do and use his resources 
to go and do that thing. And that that will be our role for all of eternity. For all of eternity, we will be getting assignments from God to fill the earth, to fill the visible creation with his glory. And so what better time to start than right now? I mean, if we think about it in, in the parables that Jesus told the reward for faithfulness was not a vacation. The reward for faithfulness was more responsibility, right? So when the, when the stewards came and they said, oh, you know, I, I, here's your mina. Uh, you gave me five, it earned five more. And the master says to him, great, now you're in charge of five cities. And so that, that fulfills us. Life's most fulfilling things are not uh, when we escape responsibility. Life's most fulfilling moments is when we fulfill our responsibility, when we walk in something meaningful, when we serve somebody, when we do something to help somebody else. And that just shows that, that that's how God made us. So it's God's purpose for us to grow into royal sons who look just like Jesus. Paul said in Ephesians, he says that, that God wants each of us to attain to the fullness of the stature of the measure of Christ. That God wants to grow us up all into sons that look like Jesus, who go around walking on the earth, administrating his kingdom, doing his will, using God's resources to do God's will for God's glory. I, was, uh, I saw a little clip of Beth Moore this week, and she said, God likes watching things grow. And that is so true. We see that all throughout the Bible, that God is all about a process, that when God does creation, he doesn't do it all in one day. He does it over six days. When Jesus is going to multiply the fishes and the loaves, he doesn't just command the people's bellies to be full, but he uses a process that requires the cooperation of everyone around him. So the little boy has to give his fishes and loaves. The disciples have to distribute the food. The people have to pick it up and chew it and you know, put it into their mouths and, and swallow it. And so Jesus is, uses a process where he's cooperating with people to accomplish his purpose. And I think God loves that process. God is all about the process, all about the adventure, all about the relationship, and not necessarily just about accomplishing this project. Let's get this thing finished. Let's get this thing done. God wants the process with you, his children, you know, one illustration that uh, my father told me many, many years ago was that of uh, when a mom cooks with her children. So many of you know, my wife is an excellent cook and uh, sometimes the children will try and cook with her or want to join her in, in cooking. And the truth is, if she did it by herself, uh, the process would be faster and the food might actually taste a little bit better. But I don't, you know, don't tell the kids I said that. But the truth is, it might be better if she just did it on her own. But she likes to include them. She wants them to be involved in the process because she enjoys the relationship with them. She enjoys that time spent with them. And that's how it is with our Father in heaven, with us, that God is giving us the things that we would call the daily growth mind, the things that we have before us as human beings living on the planet. And God's saying, hey, let's do this together. Let me speak into this. Let me bring my life into your daily grind and let you experience the reign of God and these kind of monotonous stuff that we have to do every single day. So the daily grind of changing diapers, making sales calls, serving customers, doing schoolwork, how do we connect our eternal hope to our daily grind? And so I want to try and offer three practical things we can do to connect our eternal hope. Now, remember, again, I'm operating on the, the uh, kind of the presupposition that our eternal hope is not escaping this planet and getting away to heaven. Our eternal hope is to reign on the earth with Jesus 
Jesus as mature sons of God. You want to be like a king. You want to be like a queen walking on the earth, administrating the goodness of God on the earth. And so we, how can we bring our daily grind, our temporal stuff into alignment with that eternal hope? So I'm going to suggest three things that we can do to connect our eternal hope and our daily grind. And the first one is abiding prayer. Abiding prayer. Can someone read for us John chapter 5, verse 19? John chapter 5, verse 19. Then Jesus answered and said to them, Most assuredly I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself, but what he sees the Father do. For whatever he does, the Son also does in like manner. Awesome. And Sister Tess, can you also read uh, verse 30 of John chapter 5? Verse 30. Verse 30, John chapter 5, verse 30, it says here, I can of myself do nothing. As I hear, I judge. And my judgment is righteous because I do not seek my own will, but the will of the Father who sent me. Great. Thank you, Sister Tess. Yeah, so Jesus, who is God incarnate, he says, I can't do anything by myself, but I only do what I see my Father doing. And so then later he tells his disciples the same thing in John chapter 15. He says, I'm the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. And so there's this abiding this connection that Jesus says, I have to have this connection with my father. I only do what I see my father doing. And so what I would suggest to us to connect our eternal hope with our daily grind, whether we're changing diapers or doing sales calls or whatever, is the more minutes of our day that we can turn our heart to the father in the midst of the stuff that we're doing, the more we will be able to manifest his life in those activities that Jesus says, I only do what I see the father doing. So Jesus is always attentive to the father 24 seven. I don't know how many minutes a day I spend attentive to the father. It's not very many, but my goal and my hope is that as I grow, I can spend more and more minutes of each of my, uh, uh, of each day that the Lord gives me turning my heart to the Lord and saying, God, what are you doing in this situation? How do you want me to show your goodness to this person, this customer that I have to call, to this baby whose diaper I'm changing, to this teacher who's teaching me, to this student whom I'm teaching, to make my heart attentive to God, even as I'm interacting with other people, and to make myself aware of what God might be doing in their life, to understand, you know what, God's been at work in this person's life since before they were born. And so now God has brought me into this moment where I have to interact with them as a customer, as a, you know, as a service provider, as a teacher, as a student, as a relative, whatever. But how do I let my heart turn to the Lord and say, Lord, use me in this moment to be the expression of your goodness to this person in this situation. So abiding prayer would be one way. The more minutes of each day that we can turn our heart to the Lord and we can make ourselves att attentive to him. In 1 Thessalonians 5.17, he says, pray without ceasing. And in Galatians 5.25, Paul says, keep in step with the spirit. And, you know, I know some of you have heard me talk about this a lot, but the idea of keeping in step with the spirit means that the spirit is setting the direction 
He's setting the pace, how fast we're going, and he's setting the stride. Are we taking big steps? Are we taking small steps? And that constant attentiveness to the Holy Spirit, to the Father, to the Lord Jesus, is one way that we can take this eternal hope of reigning with Jesus on the earth and begin to manifest it right now, to say, let the kingdom of God come to the earth this day through me, in this situation through me, even if I'm just, uh, you know, Whatever menial, mundane task I have to do today, let the life of God be manifest in that thing today. Colossians says, whatever you do, do it as unto the Lord with all your heart, knowing that you'll receive a reward from the Lord. So we can take any mundane thing that we have to do today. And if we do it unto the Lord, the Bible says that there's a reward for that. Okay, so the first thing is abiding prayer. The second thing is acting in love. A way to connect our eternal hope to our daily grind is to act in love. Will someone read Philippians chapter 2, verse 5? And then someone else can start to prepare 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 3. Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Yeah, thanks, Isis. Let I don't know if I gave the whole context, but let each of you look not to his own interest, but also have to the interest of others. So that idea that we're putting others before ourselves, that we're acting like Christ, that we consider others better than ourselves. Thank you so much. First Corinthians 13, three. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, if I have not love, I gain nothing. Yeah. So the first thing was abiding prayer. The second thing is to act in love. Let me read. Uh, this is First John chapter 3, verse 14. It says that we know we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. And then later in uh, chapter 4, verse 16, same book, First John, he says, So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God. And God abides in him. So we can have this abiding prayer where we're turning our hearts to the Lord in each situation we find ourselves in. And then we can act in love. Another thing that my father taught me at a very early age is that love is not an emotion. Love is not a feeling. You know, sometimes uh, we're tempted to think that love means that you have a warm, a warm fuzzy when you're with someone. That has nothing to do with love. That could just be selfishness. You know, if, if being with you makes me happy and I want to be with you, it doesn't necessarily mean I love you. It could just mean that I'm selfish. But love is a willingness to put the best interest of someone first. It's to do whatever is best for someone else. That's what love is. If I do whatever is best for you, then I'm loving you. So when we say that God loves us, we're not saying that God gets warm fuzzies when he's around us. We're saying that God does whatever is best for us 100% of the time, all the time. Okay. So the last thing, a way that we can connect our eternal hope to our daily grind, we said abiding prayer, acting in love. And I want to talk about experiencing joy experiencing joy. We're going to read three or four more Bible verses and then we'll be done. Can someone read? Let's see. There's so many here. I wrote down more than we have time to get to. Um, how about Romans chapter five, verses one to three. Romans five, one to three. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have, we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we exult in hope of the glory of God. And not only this, but we also exult in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance. Amen. 
Amen. Thank you, Brother Joel. So it says, not only do we rejoice and be made right with God, we even rejoice in our sufferings because our sufferings make us even stronger. In Colossians uh, chapter 1, verse 24, Paul says, I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake and in my flesh. I'm filling up what's lacking in Christ's affliction for his body. In Psalm 16, verse 11, the Bible says that in God's presence, there's fullness of joy. And so learning how to go through life, turning our hearts to the Lord and experiencing the Lord's presence in each circumstance, in each situation, allows us to have joy as we experience even difficult times. This is Acts chapter 16, verses 24 and 25. It's talking about Paul and Silas. It says, they were put into the inner prison and fastened their feet in stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and the prisoners were listening to them. So here you have Paul who, who loves to talk about how he rejoices in his afflictions. And there's this um, testimony, this witness that he's not just saying that, that it's true that here he is in jail. It's midnight, his feet are in socks and he's singing praises to God. In Romans chapter 12, verse 12, it says, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. Let me read that one more time. Romans chapter 12, verse 12, it says, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. Hello, friends. Thank you so much for listening. That was a teaching that I shared with Shaman International Fellowship this past weekend over our Zoom service. So I apologize the audio quality wasn't that great because we just took it directly off of Zoom. There's another teaching that I would really encourage you to go listen to. It's some of the most powerful things that the Lord has shown me, and it's episode 21 in my podcast, and it's called Math Tests and the Kingdom of God, and it dovetails very well with this uh, topic that I just shared with XICF. I'd really encourage you to go check Check that out. Thanks so much for listening. God bless you.